0: All right, so welcome to a very special edition of the Week in Review, another big chapter in the Murdoch murders, crime, and corruption saga closed this week. Or did it? The story that we thought was over last winter, back in a big way this winter, as we went to a huge evidentiary hearing for Alec Murdoch's bid for a new trial. That motion denied decisively by former South Carolina Chief Justice Gene told. Now, we've been talking about this hearing for a long time. The months leading up to it, weeks leading up to it, were a roller coaster of expectations of whether Murdoch would get a new trial. The hearing itself, a roller coaster. Very similarly. But who won the hearing? The state obviously got the outcome it was seeking. But did Murdoch's defense score some key victories that could pave the way for successful appeal? I am joined today by our research director, Jen Wood. She has been the heart and soul of our Murdoch coverage from the very beginning. Jen, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. All the way from Louisiana. Yep. Um, Let's start with the run-up to this hearing. Obviously, you and I were very high on Alec Murdoch's uh, prospects for a successful... We went up
1: and down. Well, fair enough. But
0: (laughs) up until the status conference two weeks before the hearing... Given the implosion of Becky Hill, given all of the evidence that emerged against her, we were pretty sure that things were looking good for Alec Murdoch. And also we, at that point, had started looking at some of the law, and the law seemed to favor Alec Murdoch based on the circumstances that we were looking at. But Gene told two weeks before the hearing really changed the odds, didn't she?
1: Yeah, she, um, in the status hearing, indicated she would be ruling based on case law in the state versus Green, um, which indicated there would be no presumption of prejudice. So it definitely changed the tenor of things for the defense.
0: And prejudice would have to be proved. So we get into the hearing. Obviously, you just talked about it in a narrowed scope. But didn't we see that? Exactly the standard that
1: Yeah, I mean the first juror that testified. I mean, it was I'm not sure if they intentionally chose that juror first or what, but you know, the first juror that testified said very decisively, Becky Hill did say things to me about Alex Murdoch, and it did affect my decision.
0: Indeed. Let's uh we've got that clip queued up. Let's go to juror Z
2: you rendered a verdict on March the 2nd, 2023. That verdict was read in open court by the fourth person of the jury, And then uh, the court said this, Madam, poor lady and members of the jury, if that is your verdict of each and every juror, let it be known by raising your hand. The transcript then indicates that the jurors complied. The jury was individually polled, and each was asked, was that your verdict? Each juror answered, yes. Each juror was then asked, is that still your verdict? And each juror answered, yes. Was that an accurate statement about your verdict at that time? Yes, ma'am. Right. All right. Was your verdict based entirely on the testimony, evidence, and law presented to you in this case? Yes, ma'am. Did you hear Ms. Becky Hill make any comment about this case before your verdict? Yes, ma'am. If yes, what did Ms. Hill say? To watch his actions. To watch his actions. What else? To watch him closely. To watch him closely. Anything else you remember? There it is, but I can't remember. Okay, that's fine. Uh, and, uh, was your verdict on March the 2nd, 2023, in any way, with any, commu- uh, influenced in any way with any communications by the clerk of court, Becky Hill, in this case? Yes, ma'am. Yes, please. All right. Was your verdict influenced in any way by the communications of the clerk of court in this case? Yes, ma'am. And how was it influenced?
3: To me, it felt like...
2: She made it seem like he was already guilty. All right, and uh, I understand that, uh, that that's the tenor of the remarks she made. Did that affect your Finding of guilty in this case. Yes, ma'am. All right. Uh, Juror Z, uh, I asked you previously was your verdict on March the 2nd, 2023 influenced in any way by communications from Becky Hill, the clerk of court? Uh, You answered that question, yes. In light of what you said in the affidavit, uh, which is I had questions about Mr. Uh, Murdoch's guilt, but voted guilty because I felt pressured by the other jurors. Is that answer... Uh, that I just read a more accurate statement of how you felt? Yes. Overruled? Yes, ma'am. All right. So you do stand by the affidavit? Yes, ma'am. Very good. Thank you.
0: All right, Jen, game over. We're going home. That's and it. I was like, well, right?
1: oh, I don't know how you overcome this. Right. But they brought in the affidavit she had written or provided to the defense prior. And the affidavit? was a little different than her testimony.
0: And we could tell in the courtroom as we were watching this unfold, obviously it was a big deal in the end when Justice Toll rendered her decision. But at the time, we didn't know how big a deal it was. But there was this back and forth over what did this juror say previously. Mm -hmm. And apparently there are are those who believe that her statement that she was pressured by the other jurors, which happens, and that's natural, that's not grounds for a a new trial. Right, right but that that's somehow mutually exclusive to Becky Hill's comments impacting her. I, are the two mutually exclusive in your mind?
1: No. I mean, I, absolutely not. But, I mean, I can see, you know, like, as always, I can see both sides of these arguments, and I could tell, you know, when they brought the affidavit up and wanted the juror to read it to refresh her memory, and the, the, you know, the arguments whether whether or not— it would be, you know, how it would be admitted. I could tell that it was. That was the key point. Yeah.
0: That was yeah. the key point. Mm-hmm. So she reads the affidavit and obviously gets to the point where talking about the pressure and, you know, Creighton Waters, mm-hmm. of course, is like, oh, well, you see, Your Honor, this is what it was. It wasn't anything Becky Hill said.
1: Right. And, you know, I think with, um, you know, it's you've got to remember that Justice Toll was um, very clear in that, you know, We're talking about a decision that was made nine to ten months ago. And, you know, nine to ten months of news has come out since then. And she wanted to ensure that um, if a juror indicated they had changed their mind, it wasn't during that nine to ten months. It was during the trial.
0: Indeed. So we have that juror. Obviously, we then heard from at least two others who Mm -hmm. indicated that they heard similar Comments now, those jurors said that it did not impact right their thinking on the case, but it
1: did validate what that first juror had said because you know a lot it was very you know this is a big day, Alex Murdoch is taking the stand. This rarely happens, or you know watch his body language you know it was consistent what they heard, so I think it did corroborate what what that first juror had said.
0: Absolutely. And it also went to the merits of the case, which right. as we talked about in that, that green case everyone keeps talking about, there's a very clear line in there about the merits right. and how important that is. And you know, Justice Toll was adamant that she is correctly interpreting uh, that green decision. We're mm-hmm. going to find out uh, down the road because the man who authored it is about to be the next uh, chief justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court. And by the time this gets there, he, he will be the chief justice. Correct. So. Let's talk about what happened next, though. We heard from the jurors, and again, obviously, I found all of them credible. Did you?
1: Um, Yeah, I found all of them credible. I had some questions about the one juror who, um, the ride home that Becky gave the juror. That's right. So, I mean, yeah, I did find them credible, but I still have questions.
0: Well, we do have questions. We're going to get into some of those questions when we get toward the end of this segment, when we talk about some new evidence that we've uncovered related to all of this, this saga that never ends. But let's go back to the state's pushback. After this testimony from the jurors is heard, we come to Becky Hill. And let's just go ahead. This is just one of those moments during that testimony, uh, peak implosion. Let's take a look.
4: You have described in your book your role as Switzerland, is that correct?
3: Correct. Okay.
4: And that is that you should not be in any way um, opinionated about what's going on in the trial, is that correct?
3: That's true. Okay.
4: Um, yet in your book you indicated a number of different points during the trial you had concluded he was guilty, is that correct? I think. I, mean, I don't know if her conclusions in the book are in any
5: way relevant to what occurred during the trial and whether or not there was any communications with the jurors, which is the sole issue that we're here for today, is whether or not uh, Ms. Hill had any extraneous influence on the jurors. Um, and so I think this is uh, going a little far We reject to the
4: relevance here. Let me give you an example. You indicate, riding back from Moselle, that you and three other people were in a car, and you all decided adamantly, I think was the word you used, um, that he was guilty, that he had killed his wife and son. Is that what you put in the book?
3: I can't remember if I put that in the book, but if you say I did, then I will agree with you. Did that happen? You. We did have a conversation about what each of us thought.
4: And the all four agreed that he was guilty, correct?
3: And none of us were jurors.
4: No. no trust me, I know that. Um, but you had an abiding conviction um, at least by the time of the Moselle visit, that he was guilty. And the other people in the car with you were bailiffs, were they not?
3: No. Um, were they? Some were not bailiffs. One was a court reporter, one was our um, security officer, head security, and another was a deputy sheriff.
4: Okay. But the four of y'all rode out there, and based on what, and I, I mean, I can, well, you want me to read you how chilled you were, and how you felt this, that poor Paul and 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 Maggie been executed by him on that scene that visiting the scene convinced you that he was a horrible horrible murderer. you want me to read that to you or you will concede that's what you wrote
3: I will concede that's what I wrote but if I may I will I would say that that a lot of that is poetic license um, in writing a book and in making it sound like that
4: okay so some of its poetic license and some of it you just stole. You 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 uh, purloined it from that BBC writer, right?
3: Roger, again, I object to uh
5: not only the relevance but the uh, scope uh cross I would object also under uh rule um, 608. Uh, eight. I don't believe that's appropriate cross examination.
2: Over You may continue, Mr. Harper Did you steal part of the book?
3: I did plagiarize, okay. Mr. Okay. Hart- that's it, isn't it It is. Okay. And for that I'm very sorry, and I have apologized.
4: Okay. And that makes it okay?
3: What I did, I did. And I apologized for That's that. Right.
4: And part of the book is, you say, literary license? Exaggeration?
3: I wouldn't call it exaggeration.
4: Okay. Now, let me ask you this. is Switzerland. And this is, you're saying this is happening while you're supposed to be Switzerland. You decided the defendant's guilty. And um, if Ms. McElmean says that it's going to make you more money... Um, if you, if he found guilty, don't you think it's reasonable to assume that you may have crossed the line from time to time? Your Honor, I object to the form of the question, assuming facts are not in evidence.
3: Over. Can you repeat that question one more time? To start.
4: It, let me just move on to something else.
0: All right, Jen, we thought things couldn't have been worse for Becky Hill heading into this hearing. I mean, she had her credibility already uh, cratered heading into this but it did get worse.
1: It did. I mean, it was, we were sitting up at the press gallery and it was hard to even, I mean, everybody around me was like, Oh, Ooh, you know, you could hear like, wow, like, Whoa, under, under people's breasts because it was clear that she was not telling the truth. Yeah.
0: I mean, we heard multiple instances of, perjury. Right. call it what it is. Right, it is what it is. But not only that, admitting the way she did to literary ease. <laughs> right.
1: Right. And but you know it was interesting because you know going into the hearing Judge, Chief Justice Tull had indicated she was not going to allow the, the the questioning of Becky Hill to go too far. She did not want mm-hmm. this to turn into a criminal trial of Becky Hill um it was it was about whether or not the jury had said anything about the merits of the case to the jurors and if it affected their verdicts. yet we saw quite a bit come out a lot more than I thought, yeah, and that's what
0: I want to ask you about the winning and losing because obviously Alec Murdoch's motion for a new trial was denied, mm-hmm. and so we're gonna talk in a moment about the process moving forward. but the record that was introduced here that gene Toll allowed the defense to introduce here while not everything they wanted was certainly
1: more than they expected yes absolutely and you know i, I think i mean if you don't know about how the legal system works this is this is obviously going to go to appeals right. they are going to appeal this decision and it's not going to, we're not we're not going to hear from all these jurors again they are going to they're appealing Judge Toll's decision. Mm-hmm. So everything that is on the case record that they put on the record in that courtroom is going to go with that appeal. Mm-hmm. So the more information that the defense was able to get in, the better it was for the defense. And I think that, you know, while the defense lost that motion, mm-hmm. um, I think that in a broader sense, they, they did win quite a, they had, they had a, quite a big victory.
0: Well, let's talk about the state's pushback. I want to cut to a clip here, and you and I may disagree on this. We'll see. But, um, again, Creighton Waters obviously masterful during the trial. I mean, he did an amazing job. I thought he did a great job today. Let's take a look at Creighton Waters making the state's case against a new trial.
5: Just to uh, go back and reiterate, um, as to the standard, and and ultimately uh, we've, of course, argued that the defendant uh, has the burden. Um, We've also uh, discussed that the standard for Your Honor, of course, is first of all, was there any misconduct that occurred, and then regardless of that, uh, whether or not there was any uh, effect on the verdict. And the standard has been expressed in multiple cases is whether the verdict is solely the product of honest deliberation or the product of outside influence. And that inquiry, fundamentally, as the court recognized from uh, the very beginning, focuses on the jurors themselves. Because it doesn't necessarily matter what was said as much or what was intended or what was inadvertent, even assuming that those existed. What matters is, is what the jurors heard, what they perceived, and whether or not it had any sort of effect on the verdict. And Your Honor went through that inquiry with these jurors. Eleven of those jurors were clear and unequivocal that there was no effect on their verdict and also clear and unequivocal that nothing was said that could in any way be inferred as any sort of attempt to influence them. Um, and I think that's very important, Your honor, because uh, you know there can be sometimes behind the doors as we've talked about, I think some of the cases recognize this, that some conversations can go on and things like that can happen. Um, but ultimately, and while I think it, uh, there were some cases cited in some of the, uh, the various uh, South Carolina decisions, you know, that it's not, that it's unrealistic and not surprising to think that sometimes things like that that can happen, an untoward comment or something uh, was said. Uh, but that, uh, you know, that was an Aldrich, Your Honor, in uh, the 1999 Supreme Court case. But the mere fact that something like that may be stated Uh, that could be stated in a neutral reason is not enough to undermine the verdict because the inquiry ultimately boils down to what was it that those jurors heard and in the end though did they listen to the instructions from the trial judge Did they come to a fair and honest verdict? And, Your Honor, the evidence here is uh, overwhelming, I would say, from the people that matter, and that's those jurors. And that is there was no effect on the jurors. And you saw every single one of them, every single one of them very clearly and strongly Looked you in the eye all 11, at least. And I'll get to the 12th uh, one in a second, but looked you in the eye and said, no, that didn't happen. No, I didn't hear anything like that. No, there was no effect on our verdict. No, this was our verdict. And it was based solely, which was your honor's question, solely on the evidence and the law and the testimony at trial.
0: Jen, I don't know. Every time I hear this guy talk, I'm like an Eskimo wanting to buy ice. I mean, he's he's good. He's
1: good on his feet. He's good on his feet. Um. I, to me, I don't necessarily agree with Chief Justice Toole's interpretation of the case law. So, you know, I don't think it was as great as you, but, you know, he is, he's good in the courtroom. He's good, you know, speaking on his feet. He's good at, you know, explaining things and arguing his motions and the merits of, you know, what he's arguing. So, yeah, I mean, he was impressive.
0: Equally impressive, though maybe even more impressive. I mean, let's talk about the performance. Obviously, Dick Carpuilin did an amazing job eviscerating uh, mm-hmm. Becky Hill, but Jim Griffin in his closing, I thought, did a masterful job. Let's let's take a look at Jim Griffin real quick with his closing argument on behalf of Al Murdoch.
6: Your Honor, I, I want to first start with State v. Green because I understand that's the guidance, that's what we're following here, and and reading, you know, excerpts from State v. Green. Um, First, it is absolutely clear in State v. Green that we find ourselves, and the issue is whether there's a defendant's right to a fair and impartial jury under the Sixth Amendment has been violated. Reading from the opinion, it says in the Sixth Amendment's context, the Supreme Court of the United States has held that, quote, any private communication, contact, or tampering with a jury during a trial about the matter pending before the jury is deemed presumptively prejudicial. Now Green goes on to say that we are not going to categorically apply the presumption whenever there is a c- contact with the jury, but the question is, is it prejudicial? Not whether the verdict would have been different, it is, is it prejudicial? And and I'll keep reading, uh, the court says we're not persuaded that the remember presumption of prejudice, we're talking about prejudice, not is the verdict different, it was their prejudice, was this tainted process, was it prejudice to the defendant, was the process prejudicial to the defendant because of extraneous communications, not whether the verdict would have been different, but whether it's prejudice involved in the process of the trial. Um, the court goes on to say, Our unwillingness to categorically apply the Remmer presumption of prejudice stems from our view that not every inappropriate comment by bailiff to a juror rises to the level of constitutional error. It goes on to say, The attempted bribery of the jury and Remmer conduct, which goes to the heart of the merits of the case is a far cry from the circumstances presented in this case. The bailiff's actions here, though improper, did not touch the merits, but only dealt with the procedural question of how the judge might handle a jury impasse that apparently never materialized. Um, The court says, while we decline to adopt the remerent presumption of prejudice in every instance of inappropriate bailiff communication to a juror, the occasion of this case presents an opportunity for our clerks of court and circuit judges to ensure that all bailiffs are properly trained. Now, the only thing the Green did was reject the presumption of prejudice in every case. And, and Your Honor, I'm not going to. I just want to preserve for the record that our position is that the comments that you heard in this case go to the marriage, go to the heart of the defense. And if you find that those comments were made, and, I, and I'm going to establish for the record, we clearly made, we clearly have proven that that then we do get the rem of presumption, that we do get the rem of presumption if we have proven these comments were made. But but I'm going to argue that we've proved prejudice also in this case.
0: Jim, just a great job.
1: Yeah, he did. I mean, did. Yeah, I, mean I, I don't think the closing argument he gave at the end of Alex Murdoch's trial was his finest moment, but I saw the Jim Griffin that I expected um, at the end of the trial in that courtroom on Monday. He um argued very well. I think he argued knowing that, you know, he, their 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 motion was gonna be denied. And he did a great job.
0: Well he was right because it took about fifteen minutes, uh, a statement from Justice Toll that certainly sounded like it took a little more than fifteen minutes to write, but we won't uh we won't dive into that. That's been a subject on social media. A lot of folks really zeroing in on Justice Toll's remarks there. Uh, Saying that Becky Hill heard the siren song of celebrity. She was, uh, she
1: was. Fleeting. (laughs) (laughs) It's very poetic. The siren call of celebrity. The justice took poetic ease. Yes, she took some poetic (laughs) ease.
0: Obviously, though, that decision, um, we expected it uh, based on what we'd heard two weeks previously in the Mm -hmm. status conference. And certainly there was a moment there where we thought it might have gone the other way, but. Justice Toll moved very quickly to Mm -hmm. bring into question the credibility of the first juror jersey. Let's talk about where this goes from now. Obviously, several days for each side to argue about the language Mm -hmm. of this ruling. Then shortly thereafter, there will be a decision made by the defense. They're going to have to decide whether or not this all gets consolidated. Do they lump the appeal of this? Uh, actually, I don't think they have a choice. I think it's all yeah. gets lumped together. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Once when, when you file an appeal, all of the all of the merits that you're filing an appeal on go together.
0: So all of this is going to go technically to the South Carolina Court of Appeals. Most believe that it will get kicked up to the state Supreme Court in its original jurisdiction. And let's talk now about that court. Obviously, Chief Justice Donald Beatty, mm-hmm. who appointed Clifton Newman for this uh, trial, and appointed Justice Toll to hear the retrial motion. Clearly, he was not going to side uh, with the defense, but he will be off the bench uh, come August of this year. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, Chief or Justice John Kittrich will be the new chief justice in all likelihood, uh, and there will be a new justice replacing him in his seat. So we're going to have a completely different court. What do you think? uh, I mean, next steps here, what's it going to take? Several months, obviously, for the defense to prepare their briefs. This is not going to happen tomorrow. this oh, is not going to happen no. next week yeah,
1: no, no, the appeals process is lengthy i you know I was reviewing um a federal case that you know the the verdict was delivered in nineteen ninety four and the uh, the appeal was giving him a new trial was decided in two thousand and fifteen, yeah. so the appeals process is long. it's not going to be overnight. People shouldn't expect this you know the ongoing onslaught of news regarding this case. I think they'll be grateful for
0: (laughs) it. We'll be grateful for it. I mean, this thing has been a marathon. I mean, just uh, let me ask you about this, though. Um, You know, you talk about that length of time. Obviously, Murdoch's not going anywhere. He's in jail for at least uh, 22 22, plus years uh, based on the the plea agreement Mm -hmm. he made back in November on the financial crimes associated with this case. So he's not going anywhere. And certainly, even in the event these life sentences are somehow uh, vacated, you know, he's still obviously in jail for a very long time. But let's talk a little bit about the state process, because it seems with the reconfiguration of the Supreme Court, with the body of evidence that's on that record, Mm -hmm. it feels like they've got at least a 50-50 shot with the state Supreme Court.
1: I could see that. And it's going to be on... You know, how the justices, when they review that, interpret the law and, you know, green state versus green, how they interpret it and apply it to the the facts of Alex Murdoch's case.
0: I said, Jim, let's talk federal now. I mean, that's the one thing. Let's forget the chances, the percentage chances at the state level. But this case just got a lot easier for the defense in the federal system particularly the the Fourth Circuit, where South Carolina is located. Walk us through what you've been researching right.
1: about Right. So, I mean, the case that... That I think people should look at if they're interested in looking at case law regarding jury tampering at the federal level is um, Barnes versus Joyner, which is based out of North Carolina, but in the Fourth Circuit. And that case, um, the verdict, you know, the the man committed murder in 1992. That was what I was talking about earlier, um, was sentenced to death in 1994. And there were um, issues with the the jury in the death sentencing process. So, you know, one juror had consulted with their pastor about applying the death sentence. Um, and another, you know, another juror went into the jury room and read from the Bible before they got to that, you know, sentencing phase. And. Um, And ultimately, you know, the North Carolina courts, you know, denied, denied a new trial. Ultimately, it went to the Court of Appeals in the Fourth Circuit and they overturned the verdict. Based on they believe the Romer presumption of prejudice should have been applied and you know I, I think in the different districts in federal court rummer is it's split they ruled differently depending on what district it is um but in the fourth in the fourth district which is where this will go it has been consistently the rummer the rummer presumption of prejudice has been applied so i do see at the federal level a very good chance that we're going this is going to be overturned and we're going to be looking at a new trial eight, ten years down the road. <laughs> I mean, who
0: knows? Well, and, and again, in Rimmer, <laughs> prejudice is presumed. Right. But in this case, based on this record that we've now mm-hmm. seen, is it not safe to say that prejudice was, if not proven, certainly more than
1: the, they went beyond the presumption? I believe they did personally. I, I met people will debate that up and down based on the testimony. But I believe, in my eyes, they proved the prejudice, yeah. Um, so, and I want to I want to make sure we're clear
0: as we talk to our folks out there. I mean, and I said this. I went on. I can't remember what network it was. After it was this Fox. thing, don't don't lump me in with that. Come on now. <laughs> I don't watch any <laughs> of these networks, but whatever it was, yeah, Fox Nation. Yeah, I yeah. think. it Well, you're right. I was on with uh, Lauren Taylor, who's yes. done an amazing job, by the way, analyzing for us. But one of the things I said on that show, and I think it bears repeating, is that Alec Murdoch is hands down, if not the, certainly one of the most contemptible figures in the history of South Carolina. Um, But at this point, the issues we are debating, the arguments we are assessing have absolutely nothing to do with him. And I told those folks on that show, it's about waking up in a state where you have the right to an impartial jury to hear the charges against you. And I don't know that we have that right now.
1: I don't believe we saw that in his trial. And it was highly televised. The world was watching. Yeah. He can't get a trial with an impartial jury, with the eyes of the world on you. What happens to, you know, Joe Schmo, who's being repped by a public defender and Conway? You know. No chance.
0: Right. Zero chance. Right. Well, let's talk about some of the things that we've uncovered since the trial. And again, I want to report here as we uh, have been. Reporting recently on this news, all this breaking very fast. Mm-hmm. But we do now know for the first time that Sled has obtained Becky Hill's cell phone. They allege that they obtained it prior to the hearing. We're not quite sure whether that's accurate or not. We're, we're digging on it. We'll take them at their word. They say they got it before the hearing. Okay. We don't know if they've submitted any search warrants related to records. Obviously, the device was factory reset. We have mm-hmm. confirmed that with our investigatory sources. So we now know if Becky Hill. Wipe the phone. Uh, we also know two other phones related to this were wiped. Two other ones were destroyed. We also know that her son is facing wiretapping charges, trying to keep tabs on two of the investigations into his mother.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there anything about this process, Jen, that gives you confidence in the integrity of the investigation? I mean, not e- to not even have the phone, not even have these records, and yet... We're questioning these jurors about these interactions what if those records had clear evidence right were they in a hurry to get them no a- no your level of confidence in the SLED investigation
1: it's very low hmm um very low i i i've I have a lot of questions about how this is being handled um uh, we'll see if Becky faces any any repercussions for her obvious perjury on the stand. Um but I mean what do you what do you think's gonna happen?
0: I don't see any way they can indict her for jury tampering because how do you do that when the you know when you're Oh well, she tampered but it wasn't right. enough to push it. Well wait a minute, you've got somebody that says it was. Exactly. How do you I think they don't want that debate. I right. think they can't explain that to the public, so I don't think they're gonna indict her. On jury tampering, but once again, if you have decisions being made on perception as opposed to the facts, Mm -hmm. and since we're talking about charges, let's look at who's prosecuting this. The other thing we confirmed this week, folks, and this is again very disturbing, is that the SLED agents who are on this case are working for the state grand jury, and who heads, which is run by Creighton Waters, which is that's an even bigger conflict, right? And literally, Creighton Waters is the same prosecutor who was prepping Becky Hill for her disastrous testimony.
1: Really? Did he prep her?
0: Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Keeping stories straight or trying to. But, you know, this it just goes to the heart of, again, this independence and integrity. We keep hearing from SLED. We keep hearing from the attorney general independence and integrity Mm -hmm. in this investigation. I'm not ready to slam them for a lack of integrity. I'm not there yet. I'm pretty damn close. But independence, it, that's a joke. Right. It's an absolute joke. And the perception here that this the thumb is on the scale both from the investigatory side and from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And, Jim, you did some great reporting on this juror who allegedly said things publicly about Murdoch being guilty. Obviously, we all know about the egg juror allegedly saying things publicly about him being not guilty, but
1: this didn't this won the same standard here, was it? Right. Yeah. She would never vote him guilty because he's a man. Um and, you know, that tip was sent in to the clerk of court and Yet we didn't hear about SLED going out to anybody's house in the middle of the night and interrogating them and having them sign affidavits and coming in and to testify in front of Judge Newman. I mean, none of that happened when he was guilty. Is that is that is that on
0: purpose? And where are the records of that investigation? Right. I where mean, are the dash cams from those car interviews? Mm-hmm. Where are the body cams when they went knocking on the doors? Where are the... transcripts Transcripts. from the in-camera conference nobody's seen those well we are going to be submitting multiple freedom of information act requests of the state law enforcement division in an effort to get that information and again jen i hate that all this is revolving around this particular case and this particular man because i hear people all the time saying look the guy did it he's got what he deserved fair enough but it's not about him at this point Investigations into the integrity of that jury, to the integrity of the court officials, and now into the potential integrity of the prosecutors and investigators—that has nothing to do with Alec Murdoch, other than the fact that the Murdoch case is the one they're on. That right. has to do with all of us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I get a little hot about this. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Will is mad. <laughs> no, but me, you know, huh? if you can't trust those who are there to protect you and those who are there to ensure you get a fair trial. What I mean, what can you trust? Yeah, I mean, it it is. It's an important point and you should get riled up about it. Yeah.
0: Well, one thing I want to point out to our audience this past week, obviously, we did a big story on the hearing, our YouTube page, Fitz News, go to the Fitz News YouTube or actually you're on it now. What am I saying? Tons of stuff on here Um, in the aftermath of the trial. We snipped Uh, some of the key moments for you on our YouTube page. Um, But other than the big story where I kind of made the case that, hey, this is a Sixth Amendment thing we should all be watching, I want to say our news outlet really focused on stories that we've been covering over the past year, the Rose Petal murder, Mm -hmm. the Green Pond Massacre. You and Callie Lyons did some great work on those stories. Obviously, we've been following the Lindler case in Lexington that's got Eric Bland. We've got a quadruple homicide up in Pendleton we're going to be covering.
1: And judicial reform, which is a, goes right to.
0: Mm-hmm. Which we've been driving. Right. Fitz News has been leading that debate. So a ton of stuff um, that we've been covering this past week, and I'm very proud of it. So if you came to Fitz News for the Murdochs, if that's the reason you're here, if that's the reason you're watching this, you know, just because this chapter is over, I want you to Stick with us, because these other cases we're covering, they're big cases. And again, we go where the truth leads us. We're not going to have an agenda on any of this. It's facts. It's evidence. It's testimony. It's our best conception of those things. So really proud of the way we're covering these other cases. So if you came from Murdoch, stick around for these other cases. Folks, in South Carolina, it's a systemic issue. It's not about any one person. It's about the system and maintaining the integrity of that system, Jenwood, as we head out from this big episode, from this big week, as we start looking forward on some of those other cases, obviously, you're going to be coming to South Carolina soon full time. Mm -hmm. You're going to be a Palmetto State residence. Uh, I hope you don't feel dumber when you get (laughs) (laughs) here. But um, as you look at that system, let me ask you this question. What do you think, at a very elemental level, needs to be changed so that the public can have faith in the integrity, not only these investigations and prosecutions, but of these verdicts and rulings.
1: Transparency. It's easy. I mean, right now you go into the court court system, the public indexes in each county and you go to look up um, criminal cases. And if they are being prosecuted in general sessions, none of the filings are there. You have to call the court clerk, get the filings, sometimes pay for them, depending on the county. Um, You know, the Judicial Merit Selection Committee um, hearings, when they interview the candidates and have public comments, those should be live streamed. I mean, it goes to the more open you are with the people you serve, the more they're going to trust you. And right now that that's that's a huge gap for between, you know, the system and the public. I mean, that's a simple solution, transparency.
0: Jim, once again, cannot thank you enough from the very beginning. You have been driving what we do here, your research, your writing, uh, all the work that you put into this from the very beginning. Can't thank you enough. And obviously, if you care about the integrity of this process, if you care about your rights as a South Carolinian, when you walk into a court of law here in the Palmetto State, if you want that transparency, if you want that integrity, Keep it tuned to Fitznews and help us support us if you haven't already liked us on this page. But more importantly, go to Fitznews.com and subscribe. It's only eight bucks a month, a small price to pay to support an outlet that is standing up for your right to a fair break from South Carolina's judicial system.